0: You're listening to the Lifetree Church Sermon of the Week. We pray that as you hear this word, you would be encouraged and inspired as you pursue Jesus in your everyday life. I'm really grateful to get to share what I get to share today. I'm really grateful to get to be up here and open up the scriptures with you guys. How many of you were here or were able to tune in and hear the message that Aaron Dick from Gateway Church shared with us last week? It was solid. Aaron, Aaron is a gem. We are grateful for him, for the church that he leads in our city. And, um, and I was just super stoked because of what I've been carrying in my heart for this season um, I really feel like he laid the foundation for it, for some stuff we're going to be speaking into in the weeks to come. We're going to read today from Galatians 2, but we're not going to go there right away a little later. Um, but if you want to be prepared for that, that's going to be Galatians 2, verse 11 to 21, the second half of the chapter. Um, but I want to just ask you guys to start off. any of you ever remember being a kid and seeing somebody else 's family that you wish you were a part of, did anybody ever experience that? Come on, you can be honest, I see hands, I see nods there, there was there 's this thing, right? Maybe you looked at their family and you just thought that. Their parents were cooler, or maybe you thought that their mom cooked better, or maybe you thought that they went on better vacations, or they seemed to have more money, or the parents just seemed to love each other more and be involved and engaged in the kids' lives. You know what I'm talking about? And so there was, there was something of a culture in that family that you looked at and you wanted to be a part of it, right? No. Anybody? No. <laughs> Yeah, definitely never happened for me, Mom. Don't worry. Don't worry. Never. It is, it is true. I'll give a little shout-out to my parents. There, we, were, we were a house like that that friends of ours wanted to spend a lot of time at. And one of the reasons I know is because there were pizza pops in the freezer, like, all the time. And I, I even though they're not great for us, Mom, I am grateful for pizza pops. Um, I still like pizza pops. We, we have pizza pops in our freezer at our house. They're, they're just good. Not Pizza Pockets, though. Anybody remember McCain Pizza Pockets? No good. Okay, Pillsbury Pizza Pops. Anyways, sorry if you like Pizza Pockets, but they're not on the shelves anymore, actually. So, Anyways, this is not the point of my message today. Um, This is family culture, right? That you wanted. Well, I'd propose to you that in the 300 years that followed the life of a man named Jesus, it's a similar thing that swept across the Roman Empire. People saw in the church a family culture, if you will, that they were drawn to, that they were attracted to, that they wanted to be a part of. And, you know, I don't think most kids who are wanting to be a part of another family or jealous of it, are, are jealous of it and wanting to be a part of it because of the dad's profound wisdom and articulation and long talks. I know my kids. Are there any in the room? I don't see any, but there's Elijah in the back. Do you like my long talks? No. He's like, no. He's like, when are you going to be done preaching, dad? No. Uh, so, you know, it's like it wasn't just the, the talk the doctrine, the truth of the church. It was the culture of the church that people were drawn to and why it grew so fast and drew people in. When we say doctrine, maybe for you that's a, that's a word you don't use much. When we say doctrine, what we're talking about is truth taught and beliefs held to. So the church has a set of doctrines. But the apostles, the original leaders of the church, their main purpose and job that they sought to do was not simply to articulate doctrine and theology. That was a part of it. But what they sought to do, and actually a lot of the writings of our New Testament are a part of it, are results of it. What they were seeking to do was establish churches a new type of community made up of a new type of people with a new type of culture. Apostles were sent ones. That's what the word meant. The word apostle in its original context in the Greek Roman culture in that day meant a sent one. And what an apostle was sent to do was to establish the culture of Rome in a city. And these apostles sent by Jesus were sent to establish the culture of God's kingdom, of heaven's kingdom in places. And they sought to do so through building churches. And what they believed and what they taught and the doctrine played into that. It was like part of the building blocks for the culture what were some of the marks of this culture that was so attractive at the, you know, shortly after the life of Jesus in those hundred years that followed, or a few hundred years that followed, was that they welcomed anyone who was putting their trust in Jesus. Social barriers and classifications and categories did not determine whether you were welcomed in. Ethnicity And culture that you grew up in did not determine whether you were accepted into the community. All it was built on was faith in Jesus. And in this this book of Galatians that we're going to look at in a bit, Paul, the writer of Galatians, makes this famous statement in Galatians 3.28 that he says that there is neither Jew nor Gentile, which is essentially a non-Jew, anybody who's not Jewish, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male or female. You're all one in Christ. This is what marked the early church. It's what I would call gospel culture. I'll use that term, and we're going to use that term lots over the next while. Gospel culture. And it was revolutionary in the Roman Empire in those days. But how did they establish this gospel culture? They taught and practiced gospel truths. Gospel truths produced gospel culture. But gospel culture expressed gospel truths. You with me? Gospel truths produced gospel culture. Gospel culture expressed those gospel truths. This is why we say here at Life Tree, Chelsea referenced it when she made the announcement of food for the hungry. We're about declaring and displaying Jesus. We speak of Jesus, but we also want to show Jesus to our city. One and the same. It's not one without the other. And I tell you what, guys, our culture in our day is longing for gospel culture. People may not put those words to it. There's not a lot of people in mainstream media going, what we need in the world today is gospel culture. I've not heard it. Uh, But I was having this moment even as we closed in worship and we were singing, you know, nothing else, nothing else will do. I just want you. And Telsey encouraged us to just stay in that place. And I found myself saying, Jesus, Whatever desire, whatever longing I have is ultimately for you. My longings and my desires may lead me astray into the wrong places at time, but you ultimately bring me to the place where real satisfaction happens. And our culture today wants gospel culture, right? The issue is is that often we want gospel culture without accepting or believing gospel truth. Definitely outside the church, but honestly even in the church. We want to we want to kind of distance ourselves from that that dry dusty doctrine stuff. We just want the fruit. We just want the we just want the welcoming and the acceptance and the and the love and all that but without The truth, it falls apart. You know, I'm seeing this today, this desire for it. This desire to be able to see in our culture an ability to remain different from one another but still operate in love and acceptance. This may... Maybe, I'm going to share it. Anybody see any of the like, controversy over Dave Chappelle's recent Netflix special? Anybody seen that on social media? Okay, I, I, I saw this on social media. What is this about? Dave Chappelle, my wife's cringing because she, she knows what it's all about. But Dave Chappelle, if you don't know, is a comedian. Okay, And like many comedians... His jokes are not PG. They are not church friendly. I'm not up here recommending Dave Chappelle's latest special, okay? But here's what I want to talk about. I saw this controversy on it, and I I decide I'm gonna check it out. I'm gonna watch it. I'm gonna see what what this is all about. And definitely stuff in it that caused me to go ooh, <laughs> cringe, you know. Uh, but what i what i was realizing as i was seeing it was there's this guy essentially saying can i think different than you without being defined as hateful or afraid he's saying it's okay to disagree and a portion of the culture is saying no it's not <laughs> If you disagree, you're either fearful of us or you hate us. And we must cancel you. Right? And that's what what he's coming out swinging at through it. Not in a way that I think reflects Jesus, for the record, okay, at all. It's a great example of the confusion that happens in our society when we let go of the truth. But what I'm br- why I bring it up is because I've seen all this controversy in response to it of all the people saying, like, this man's evil, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But another portion of the culture, essentially, maybe even totally disagreeing with his opinion on a lot of stuff, but saying, thank you, Dave Chappelle. And so there, there's this, there's this... This thing going on, right, where where we can't think different without being written off as some villain. I believe our world is longing to see how can we be different, think different, and walk in love without condemning each other while maintaining our differences. Can we be different and disagree and still walk in love? I tell you this, no people have displayed this better than the church when it embodies gospel culture. Caveat, when it embodies gospel culture. We know the church has done horrible things but it's always it's honestly even that's a shallow conversation in my opinion because the church is made up of people there have been people who love jesus and love the truth and and hold to it in some respect no one's perfect even the even the saints we love to elevate up to these high levels they had imperfections and we're going to see that today in what we're going to read the church has been given what is necessary to be a people who operate in a culture that allows for all sorts of difference and yet walks in love without condemning one another, without cutting people off. The problem is, is the church often has lost a grip on the gospel when we lose a grip on the gospel, the thing that begins to unravel following that is gospel culture starts to fall apart, starts to disappear, starts to be hard to find. We forget the gospel, we neglect the gospel, we prioritize other things and other messages and eventually that culture that's to mark us as the church is lost I find it actually interesting that right now it is predominantly religious conservatives who are bemoaning cancel culture. Well, I would say it's religious conservatives who promoted cancel culture. Silence. It, it's, been, it's been, you know, throughout decades past. Well, just cancel them, whatever, right? Maybe that word wasn't used. We're supposed to be a people who are able to to sit and listen and hear and not feel threatened and engage. Why? Because we have the beauty of the gospel at our center, as our compass, as leading us, our North Star. And so this is what we're doing. We're spending the next few weeks leading up to Christmas talking about gospel culture. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at truths about Jesus and truths about the gospel and how they actually produce the gospel culture within God's people. That's what we're going to do. Basically, Jesus was fill in the blank. Therefore, we fill in the blank. But we won't build gospel culture without gospel truths. Nor will gospel truth ever appear attractive without gospel culture. I'll say it again. We cannot build gospel culture without gospel truths. But gospel truths will never appear attractive to the world without gospel culture. We're passionate about declaring and displaying Jesus to our world, to the city. See, gospel truth, it's not something that we move on for. Sometimes when we use the word gospel, when we've been in the church a while, we think, oh, that's that thing that you believe in order to be saved. And then you move on from it into the greater things of the kingdom. And, and we create these, all these different things that we start to hold more important. But I would say to you that we never move on from the gospel. It's integral to life in the kingdom. It's to shape our expression as Jesus' followers, as his church. There's layer upon layer of it that we need the nutrients from. Tim Keller says it this way. Tim Keller is a a preacher. I really appreciate probably lots of you know who he is. And I heard him say once, the gospel is slippery. It's really easy to lose hold of it, to get off track from it. And I don't know if you know this, but today, October 31st, yes, it is Halloween. But it is also a special day in the history of the church. Who knows what October 31st is? Reformation Day. 504 years ago on this day, 1517, a monk by the name of Martin Luther who, who, was, who was confused by what he saw in the church, had been pouring into the scriptures, and he wrote something that in church history referred to as the 95 Thesis, all these statements of belief, and he nailed it to the wall, the door, the front door of a church. And it was essentially like a confrontation, an indictment against the church, because the church had massively lost hold of the gospel. the church had gotten to a place where you could pay for what were called indulgences and absolutions. And indulgence was essentially you could pay a priest a bit of money for this piece of paper that was going to shorten your time in purgatory. So you wouldn't have to spend as much time being cleansed by, by, by God and be accepted into heaven. You could pay for absolutions, which was total forgiveness for your dead relatives so that they could be bought out of purgatory and brought into heaven. Only trained priests were allowed to read the scriptures, and the scriptures could not and would not be translated into common languages so common people could read them. And there was so much control And oppression and all these things, yeah, you gotta believe in Jesus, but you also gotta do this and you gotta do that, and you gotta and all this list of you gotta add this to Jesus in order to be accepted by God. And Martin Luther got hold of something that we in the church today commonly refer to as justification by faith. And he was known well for this statement: justification by faith alone, by grace alone, by Christ alone. And what we're going to look at today is a story from A.D. 47, 49 is the rough date that scholars put on this. This is less than 20 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. And already, the church and its leaders are losing hold of the gospel. It's slippery, like Tim Keller said. And there's some correction required. And before we read it, I want to kind of set the context and identify some of the characters for you, okay? So the context is this, is that the the first church, the early church, was birthed in Jerusalem. And it was a pretty much purely Jewish church. And so you have all these Jewish people with their Jewish customs and traditions and practices. But what starts to happen in the early years of the church is Gentiles, non-Jews, start believing in Jesus. They get filled with the Holy Spirit. Miracles are happening. And it's obvious to these church leaders that God is also accepting to himself non-Jewish believers. And very quickly, debate begins to arise in the church of whether non-Jewish Jesus' followers, non-Jewish Christians, need to hold to all of the customs and traditions and laws of the Jewish people. Because you see, a lot of these Jewish people held their customs and their traditions, their law, as as a point of their identity that they were proud of. And they believed that it was the adherence to these things that gained them acceptance with God. And there began to be debate whether they needed to follow all this stuff. And the, and the real, like, clincher, do non-Jews need to be circumcised? Circumcision was, was, was at the heart of the covenant between Abraham and between God. The Jewish people held to it dearly as a sign of their loyalty to Yahweh, to the Lord. So there was a lot of contention over this issue. And Galatians is written because there was a group of people coming to this church in Galatia that Paul had, if you don't know who Paul is, we'll talk about Paul in a minute, but Paul had started this church, and there were teachers coming to Galatia saying to these non-Jew Christians, you must be circumcised. Faith in Jesus, yes, but also circumcision necessary to be right with God. And Paul wrote this whole letter we call Galatians out of an attempt to correct this teaching, to confront it, to say no. And so who's Paul? Paul is the author, obviously, of Galatians. A church planter, a missionary, he saw lots of non-Jewish people come to faith in Jesus and be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're going to hear about a guy in what we're about to read named Cephas. Cephas, also known as Peter, is one of the preeminent apostles, leaders in the church. Peter, right, walked and talked with Jesus, he was, clear, he was in Jesus like elite three guys who Jesus would pull into the inner circle. He was definitely a preeminent person in the church. We're going to hear about Barnabas. Barnabas was one of Paul's closest missionary companions who had seen many non-Jews come to faith and be filled with the Spirit. We're going to hear about James. And James is believed to actually be brother to Jesus. Like, grew up in the same house as Jesus. And he was a prominent leader in the church in Jerusalem. And you can hear in his writings in the book of James, he has a high view of the law of God. And we're also going to hear what we're about to read about men from James is who they're referred to as. Now, Now, James cannot be attributed to anywhere in Scripture as teaching that you needed to be circumcised, to be accepted by God. But these guys who who sat under James' teaching came from the church in Jerusalem, were steeped in the customs and the traditions, were going out and saying that people needed to be circumcised in order to be right with God. And they came to this church in Antioch. Antioch is a city 300 miles north of Jerusalem where there was a vibrant church filled with non-Jews and Jews. And it was a dear place to Paul. He spent a lot of time there. So there's our context, okay? Here we go. Galatians 2, verse 11 to 21. When Cephas came to Antioch, When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, You're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? So he's saying, Peter, like you've been eating with the Jews all this time, and now these guys are here. You draw back, you're actually through so doing that, persuading, trying to force people to follow your customs. Onward in verse 15. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles. Sounds harsh, right? But common term used among the Jewish people to refer to non-Jews, sinful Gentiles. It was like a, a title. And Paul's using it very intentionally here. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law but by faith in Jesus Christ. We so we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because the works of the law sorry because by the works of the law no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. He's talking about if I seek to rebuild this system of seeking justification with God through keeping the law. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. What I, what I want to point out, even before we briefly look into what Paul actually said to them, is I want to I point out what Paul says in verse 14. They were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. Note, he didn't see the gospel as something simply to be believed. The gospel was something to be practiced it was a practice built on particularly particular beliefs how were they violating the gospel in this story how were they not walking in line with it by withdrawing themselves these jewish believers withdrawing themselves from the non-jewish believers out of fear of what these intensely religious conservatives, if you will, would think of them. You gotta realize like how serious this was. This wasn't just about, hey Peter, that's not very nice. Paul saw this as way more than just not being nice. He saw it as that the gospel was at stake. The truth of the gospel and its power in the world and its ability to shape culture and transform lives in the world was at stake in this moment. And what did he do? Did he just get up and say, hey, you guys shouldn't do that. That's not very nice. No, he got up and he preached the gospel. He, he, he reads, let's look at this one more time, verse 15 and 16. This is some of the most clearly stated justification by faith scripture out there. It was, it was instrumental, In what happened with Martin Luther, who we referred to. And he says this We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. In simplicity. Paul said, we're justified by faith. Not by what we do. Not by the positions we take. Not by by keeping of the law. Back then, when this happened, what it was over was circumcision. Now, that's not very relevant to us today, is it? We don't have a lot of contention over whether or not You're circumcised. I won't ask. Don't worry. But uh, we're all seeking to be justified. Justified means seen in right standing with God. Some translations say made righteous. I love, though, that Paul refers to us as justified sinners. Anyway. I'm not going to go too much into what he said. I just want to say this, that we today also do seek to justify ourselves in many ways. Maybe through our career, we want to prove to the world our value, our worth, our importance through our success. We may be seeking to justify ourselves with our looks I'm gonna stay fit. I'm gonna eat healthy. I'm gonna I'm gonna do all this stuff so that people think better of me. And we get wrapped up in our looks, maybe in our wealth, it may be in our friend circle and our status. Or we seek to justify ourselves by being really passionate and committed to justice. Nothing wrong with justice. The Bible is heavy on justice but there are twisted versions of it. Without truth, you can never really know what justice is. Integral to why we call September 30th Truth and Reconciliation Day. You really can't have the reconciliation part without the truth. Maybe we seek to justify ourselves before the world by our virtue signaling and showing our good works and our good deeds to one another. Or taking up this cause or that cause. Or maybe you feel more justified than another because you're vaccinated or unvaccinated. But you know what Paul says about circumcision? He says circumcision and uncircumcision are nothing before God we can just as easily wave one of these flags and start to feel better about ourselves and better about others because of the position that we've taken on a particular issue. And I am so grateful to be in the church of Jesus where we can hold up something better and it's called the beauty of Jesus and be united around him. And live in maybe stark disagreement from one another on issues. But not demonize and dehumanize and attack one another. We should be a place where we can actually talk about these things in the most civil way. In the most fruitful, beneficial ways. I believe that we live in a cultural moment where there is an opportunity for the church of Jesus to display a counter-culture. And I call it gospel culture. Where this truth, justification by faith alone, it is central to the gospel. It is central to the church Being who we're called to be. This truth revolutionized the world 2,000 years ago. It revolutionized the world 500 years ago. And it can revolutionize the world today. But when we get off track from it, the culture of the church unravels. And we we could unpack, like these are dense Scriptures we just read. I want to pray in closing. Before we pray, I want to invite you again. Food for the hungry. Training. It's part of how we hope to build gospel culture. Microchurch training, November 30th. I don't believe that we can really fully express who we're called to be as the church without smaller expressions of community, worship, and mission. So come on out. You can sit. You can stand. You can posture however you want. In this moment, we're going to pray. And then we're going to go eat lunch together. Father, we ask you to help us. We say you're kind and you're faithful. You're patient with us. We thank you that we are accepted before you, not by our own righteousness, but because of Jesus, because of his life lived, his sacrificial death died. And he rose from the dead, and he stands, making intercession for us. We ask that you would help us to be a people who forsake our self-righteousness. Any sense of superiority that gets built in us through patting ourselves on our back for our good efforts and our morality or whatever else we may seek to build our righteousness on. We ask that you would make us a people and a community that display the beauty of Jesus through a gospel culture that's built with gospel truths about you. We ask this by your grace and for your glory, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. At LifeTree, we are a family all about declaring and displaying Jesus to transform lives and benefit our city. If you'd like to find out more about LifeTree, you can find us online at LifeTree.ca.